0: Good afternoon and thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another exciting show for you lined up this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have that minute on innovation with Christina Sikiotis. Going to talk about the difference between micromanagement and macromanagement and that effect on creativity. We're also talking with Tony Vidre, going to have a look at the state budget, particularly the threshold in payroll tax. But right now we're going to chat with Sonia Anderson from Anderson Law and Mediation Services. Can mediation deliver justice? Good afternoon, Sonia. Good afternoon, Julian. And Thanks for joining us again. So, uh, interesting subject. We've talked a lot about mediation in the past, but how can we ensure that mediation delivers the right solution?
1: That's a really interesting question, and one that's probably had um, many minds perplexed over the years, probably greater minds than my own, um, Julian. But I think uh, essentially mediation depends on individuals participating in the process. Um, um, well, they're self-determining their own incomes, so f- uh, our, our own outcomes, I should say. So, firstly, we need to ensure that they're under no duress. I think that's important. And the other component I think that's really important to that question is that the parties are making what I would call informed decisions.
0: So so how do you make sure people are making informed decisions?
1: Uh, It's really just a process of reality testing the parties when they're in the process. I try to do that usually during um, private sessions. That's just asking them some questions about you know, um, whether or not they've obtained relevant advice pertaining to some of the issues that we might be talking about.
0: Can you give us an example of that? Um,
1: well, if uh, the subject matter of the dispute, say, for instance, was about the division of matrimonial property following separation, then I would ask the parties whether or not they'd had legal advice about the likely outcome of a court-ordered division of property. It's that kind of advice which, to my legal mind, of course, is imperative to provide the parties with some sort of a yardstick against which to measure any agreement that they might um, determine for themselves.
0: Well, that seems like an overly simple solution to what I imagine would be a very complex issue.
1: Well, you're probably right. (laughs) One of the problems is that people can obtain that necessary legal advice, for instance, and then then get bogged down in what they perceive to be their rights rather than getting uh, giving any other factors any consideration. Or well, the other potential problem is that the legal advice itself can be perceived by the parties to mean that if they go to court, they can expect a highly predictable and mathematical outcome. I've had that um, experience on a number of occasions, and I really doubt that any lawyer would give that sort of rigid advice, but um, parties... Have, in my experience, become immovable because they perceive that their lawyers have told them what to expect in very precise detail.
0: Would it not be a highly predictable outcome if disputes go to court to be determined? I mean, doesn't the law provide for a level of certainty? Uh,
1: Probably I would say no to that. Um, uh, In fact, I'd go so far as to say that no litigation is entirely predictable in its outcome. Um, predicting reasonable prospects of success is probably the best that we can do and that process involves a weighing of the evidence and the credibility of the witnesses providing the evidence um, against the legal framework within which the dispute has to be resolved and then there's a balancing exercise in relation to all of that as against the actual legal costs in, in exercising your right and going to court and when we're talking about legal costs, it might be that we should really call it a privilege rather than a right in terms mm. of going to court. But um, in any event, providing legal advice, I think most lawyers would agree is a craft um, and not a science. And I think it's probably better for people to understand the law in that context as a baseline by which to measure their agreements.
0: So so what do you mean by that?
1: Well, if we use family law again as, as the example, then... Um, You've got to consider that those laws provide for a wide discretion to be exercised by the court. Um, And so the laws themselves can be very arbitrary by their very nature, and I don't mean that by any criticism of our system. In fact, I think when it comes to family law, our system is actually a much more fairer system than I've seen in other states in the world.
0: Can can you explain what you think is more fair about our system?
1: Uh, Well... For instance, in California, in relation to family law, if there isn't a, any domestic violence, then a judge must divide the community property equally. Um, and so that, the law there basically limits the discretion of a judge. But consider the situation where you might be married, marrying into wealth and then 10 months later after divorcing, you automatically become entitled to half of the wealth. Mm. Um, to my mind, that's not a very fair way of doing things. Whereas in Australia, the party's contributions, whether they are financial or non-financial or as homemaker and parent, all of those factors are taken into consideration together with the length of the relationship. And uh, I think that provides for much fairer outcomes, but at the same time, it provides for a much wider discretion to the court. And it follows that it also provides for a much less predictable outcome.
0: So I think you're saying that the parties to a mediation of this kind should use their legal advice as a yardstick by which to measure their agreement rather than a weapon by which to undo any potential agreement.
1: I think that, that um, actually says it in a nutshell. Although, um, as, you, as we've said before, we're attempting to answer complex questions simply. So, but one thing that I would add is that if you, look, if you view the law as a baseline then this frees the parties to explore options for settlement, which may actually provide for much more dignified solutions. Um, If we get stuck in just pursuing legal rights, then we can actually miss out on what is really important to us.
0: Can you clarify what you mean here?
1: Well, if you consider that the law is arbitrary by its very nature, um, what I'm basically saying is, is that it's a mistake for people to get caught up fighting over things that they would otherwise not want or need but for the law. Um, And you'll find that if people approach the resolution of their issues from needs, interests, values, goals and fears perspectives, then they can end up reaching agreements that each party believes is fair to them. And you've got to remember in that context that one person's garbage is often another person's treasure. And so what is fair to one person obviously um, won't necessarily be fair to another. It's just a matter of perspective.
0: So do you have a story that can give us an example of what you mean?
1: Well, I can recall one family law client of mine that I was seeing wearing my hat as a lawyer and not as a mediator.
0: So do you sometimes wear both hats?
1: Uh, no. Um, as a mediator, I uh, pro- can't provide legal advice and if um, I'm appointed um, as a, a lawyer, I can't later be a mediator. So the, the distinction is very clear in relation to those two roles.
0: So there's definitely a line drawn for you.
1: That's right. Yeah, most definitely.
0: So what were you saying about this client?
1: Well, um, I was seeing this client um, as a lawyer regarding the Division of Family Law Property and she'd struck an agreement with her ex-husband, which in my professional opinion fell far below what she was entitled to had the matter gone to court. Um, But she then explained to me in what seemed to be no uncertain terms that she wanted no larger amount. And uh, when I questioned her further, um, it became apparent that her reasoning was motivated by the fact that her ex-husband was residing in the former matrimonial home and couldn't raise any more money to pay her out. And their son, who was a teenager, was still residing with him. So she was actually more concerned to ensure that her son continued with the same roof over his head then that she got a larger payout. And, um, I think that as professionals, we're, you know, who are we to stand in the way of that kind of self-determination? So, I mean, it was an informed decision. She knew that she was entitled to more, but she chose to forego that entitlement in favour of what some might see, as a higher need and as a consequence she chose to enter into what some might regard as a more dignified resolution of that issue.
0: Great well thanks very much for your time again Sonia it's uh, good to have a little chat about that mediation obviously it's an important issue and we'll have a chat with you again another time. That'd be great. Thank you bye-bye.
1: Thank you bye-bye.
0: Sonia Anderson there helping us to understand the, the role of mediation in the legal service. You're listening to Business, the Law in You on 2NURFM 103.7. Thanks to our sponsors, AV Chartered Accountants, and time to pop over to AV Chartered Accountant and have a chat with Tony Vidray. Good afternoon, Tony. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So uh, good. the state budget, uh, something about uh, payroll tax and thresholds. Yeah,
2: yeah, the the state budget came out the other day and uh, it was nice to hear that Newcastle and the Hunter were front and centre of it but some of the things that um, that caught my eye were, the, were some of the changes to uh, payroll tax and the uh, the threshold for this current year June 13 year is 689000 well that's going to go up next year to seven hundred and fifty thousand for the full year, so that's that's welcome relief for uh, for people who have a payroll of more than seven hundred and fifty thousand. Although that might be reducing with uh, with
0: the mm. times
2: that we're all uh, that we're all facing.
0: Yeah, but I believe uh, indexation was taken away.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, the, the business community squealed for for many many years that the threshold had been stuck at six hundred thousand I think it was it was six hundred thousand for yes. ten yeah. years or so yeah. and and you know with inflation and with wage increases every year it pushed more and more people into the payroll tax um, bracket and I think it was Michael Costa when he was the uh, treasurer he introduced indexation so it's gen- generally or gradually crept from six hundred thousand now to six eighty nine well he's jumped at the seven fifty. Um, the current Treasurer, uh, but he's abolished indexation. So we might be in a situation where it could be $750,000 for, for the next 10 years. We don't know. <laughs>
0: uh, and you're speaking about a jobs action plan or something.
2: Yeah, that's um, that's something that's been around since um, 2011. and It could be a, another um, interesting thing for people or for, for companies and businesses who do pay payroll tax. There's been this job action plan since then that if you put on um, extra staff, and it's all calculated on FTE, the full-time equivalents. And if they stay with you for 12 months, you actually get a $2,000 credit on your payroll tax. Mm. And if, you st- if they stay with you for two years at the end of the second year, under the old scheme, you got an extra $2,000. Well, they've just extended the scheme to the year end of um, 2015, but they've increased that second year amount to $3,000. So if you've got someone right now with, say, 20 full-time staff and they go and put on an extra person, and as long as there's more staff in 12 months' time than there is now, so you can't reduce your workforce, um, yeah, as soon as that extra person clicks over their first year anniversary, you get a $2,000 credit, and as soon as they click over their second year anniversary, you get a $3,000 credit, and Mm. it's per annum per extra person. So that's quite... It's quite good. And Newcastle is on the list of eligible locations uh, for, uh, for this to apply.
0: Excellent. Well, that's, that's an interesting point. Well, thanks very much for your time again, Tony. We'll uh, have a chat with you next week about whatever's going on next week.
2: Yeah, whatever catches yeah. my eye. See you then. Good <laughs> idea,
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Tony Vidro there from AV Chartered Accountants here. A couple of little tips we might have missed in the state budget. And at 31 minutes past one, it's time to pop over to Christina Sikiotis for our Minute on Innovation. Good afternoon, Christina.
3: Hi, Julian. How are you?
0: Very well, thank you. So we're going to look at the difference between macro and micro management and its effect on creativity.
3: Yeah, well, micro and macro management have a considerable effect on creativity and it's not surprising that research has shown a strong correlation between how independently, how much autonomy people have in their workplace and their likelihood to engage in creative projects. And let's remember that creativity by definition in the Oxford dictionary is relating to our, um, relating to or involving the use of the imagination or original ideas to create something. In the Macquarie dictionary, it's to cause to exist to bring into being, to originate, to produce um, the original product of human invention or imagination. And let's not forget that all things originated in someone's imagination. Mm. Um, It was a couple of weeks ago that we spoke about Branson's galactic vision, you know, traveling around the the Mm. globe in a a space shuttle. And now it's, you know, eventually it will be a reality. So two researchers, Chantal Levesque and Luc Pelletier, I hope I've said those right and I haven't offended anybody French listening, um, wanted to investigate the relationship between micro and macro management and creativity. They split people into two groups. The first group had to read sentences that contained words such as forced, pressured, controlled. The second group was asked to read sentences with words that related to autonomy, such as absorbed, interested, delighted, challenged, things like that. So to cut a study short into into just over a minute, the group reciting the sentences related to autonomy immersed themselves in an activity that followed totally. The controlled group who showed, they showed considerable less motivation for the task that they were all given and they were both given the same task. So the researchers made particular note of how easy it was to get people to feel independent. In the case of the research, all they had to do was ask them to read a few sentences relating to independence and autonomy to get them to act like that. Mm. Um, so you know, absolutely amazing just the force of words or just the suggestion of words, um, the ability to increase creativity through your relationship with your, with your people, whether you're micromanaging or macromanaging.
0: So watch our words as well now.
3: Yeah, watch, watch words. Well, it's just, it's the whole um, feeling behind the words, tis, too, really, isn't tis, it? It is, it its yes. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks very much for your time. We'll have a chat again next week.
3: We shall. i look forward to it. Have Thank a good
0: you. week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina is there with uh, the effect of those words. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've had a look at uh, whether mediation can deliver justice, and uh, there's a couple of points in the state budget relating to payroll tax. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to chat with Martin McKenzie again from Oz Industry about some upcoming events. We'll also enter the world of tax with Tony Vidre of AV Chartered Accountants. Have that minute on innovation with Christina Sikiotis and some other tips to motivate you and improve your business. I'd love your company at the same time for business, the law and you. Until then, have a safe and prosperous week and as Albert Einstein once said, sometimes one pays most for the things one gets for nothing.